Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews, insights, project management, leadership trainings and lessons learned from the field of healthcare to improve the delivery of your projects and business performance. Hi and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So this is part two of our little project management masterclass with Matthew Gibbons, who is a quality improvement specialist. He's also got tons of project management and operations experience and who is also a member of the NHS England Sustainable Improvement Team's Time for Care faculty. In this episode, which is part two, we are going to be debunking some project management myths. We talk about qualifications, what happens when the project ends. It's not sad. It's um, a chance to celebrate and look at the next project. We talk about the importance of documentation, trust and embracing failure. As always, we try to make these episodes really practical. There's some really good tangible advice that you can start to implement straight away. And I would ask if you like it, please do give us a rating and review over on iTunes and give us a shout out on social media. You can find me on LinkedIn under Tara Humphrey. On Twitter, you can find us at at THC Primary Care. I hope you enjoy and I will see you in the next episode. So, Matthew, thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast. When we met first time, I was like, oh, we're going to have to do another episode because project management is such a big topic. And one of the things I specifically wanted to talk to you about um, is kind of project management myths. Um, so lots of myths surrounded by the role and its purpose and its value. And I just thought that would be, yeah, I just thought that would be a really good topic and a bit of a summary from what we discussed last time. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's jump in. So what would you say would be the first myth um, that you would like to debunk about project management? Um. I guess that you need to be a qualified project manager to do project management. And I think, you know, absolutely there are some benefits to being a qualified project manager. Um, and I, I don't, um, you know, I'm not being critical of project managers because I, you know, I know there are some very good project managers that. No, uh, because you're, you're talking to one. Yes. <laughs> there we go then. But I, I, I think there is, you know, there's, there is some real good rigor um, in, in the field of project management that is very, very useful um, for, you know, servicing a project to help a project um, go through its, its life cycle from initiation through to completion. I think, you know, that there is some purpose and some, some proper rigor around that. And as an engineer, and by training, I can see the value of that, that rigor. Um, but it doesn't mean that that's the only... Um, way to do you know to also it doesn't that doesn't mean that the only way to manage a project is to be a project manager um, and, and have that rigor behind you um, you can you know quite easily take some of that that learning and apply it even if you aren't a you know a qualified project manager um, and I guess you know at, at some point um, you know as, as projects get bigger as projects involve more people, as projects involve more resources and money, you do need the security that that rigor will bring. But uh, you know, if we're in if we're in a 
practice setting, if we, we're doing a small project that involves a small number of people um, that doesn't have a you know a big risk of, of cost or resource associated with it, actually some you know some some project management can be exerted on that that project in helping that project to happen. So it's about that you know that that framing that that. Um, the, you know, the setup, the teardown, all, all the things that happen in the middle um, can be applied without being a qualified project manager. So you don't need to go off and get, you know, a qualification like Prince2, um, although, you know, plenty of, uh, plenty of managers, uh, practice managers and, and network managers might have some experience with that or might have that qualification. Uh, and that is all to the benefit of the projects that they're going to be working with. Um, but you can do some of this stuff without that qualification. And I agree. I think the first thing that I did when I thought was like, okay, I was a business development manager and in a university and um, they had a fantastic suite of like courses that we could do. And I was like, I really want to get into project management. Everyone says, you need Prince 2. You need Prince 2. So I got my Prince 2 at the university. When that ran out, I got it again when I went freelance because I looked on NHS jobs and they all said, you know, like that you need Prince 2. You need Prince 2. I can honestly say that all of the contracts I have had over the past five years, nobody cares. <laughs> like nobody's asked. I'm like, but I've got Prince 2. They're like... They don't care. And I think that every now and again, I might use one of those principles. But I really, I really, really don't. And lots of people say to me, should I get Prince too? And I, re I really don't think that you don't, you don't need it. I think it's, I just don't think that you need it. I think when I think of all of the other qualifications and the training that I've got, um, it's around what is most beneficial to be a project manager. I think you just need to be a naturally organized person and think, you know, like in a logical, systemized way. And then in primary care, have an appreciation that it doesn't always be, it doesn't work like A, B, C, D, like you would do in Prince 2. If you're building a house, you know, you have to do some things before, you know, like you put the roof on. In primary care, it can be more agile. It is more complexity and there's a matrix approach to, it doesn't always have to happen in a, systemized way because a lot of it is the relationships you build if you build i say to people if you build the relationships you'll get the project done and i, I think that you know it's really interesting you, you touch on the the process approach uh, you know against the agile approach and i think it they you know there, there is something about doing the right things at the right time in order to move the project forward the right way um where you get too stuck in a process approach is you know you do a b c d um you know, and if, if, if B is not right, you know, do, do you jump to C? Do you jump to D? Where do you go? Do you go back to A? And I think, you, you know, you're in danger of sort of you know, what, what we used to use in the, um, uh, you know, back in the day of software engineering, it was a waterfall uh, model, which was, there was a, a process that you followed. Um, and any time you had to, to go back a step, um, you know, you, you were wasting time, you were having to redo stuff. Um, and I think you can get too tied up in actually the process of it. I think you're absolutely right about primary care, um, Particularly being much more agile and some of that is because the businesses are smaller some of that is because the you know the business owners are, are involved in the day-to-day -day. um you know particularly around some of the, some of the instructions and new services or for patient access so, you know you've actually got the business owners involved in that day-to-day -day. and that gives you a a bit more flexibility gives you a bit more agility um and because of the you know the, these businesses are effectively small businesses um you know some of them aren't even smes they they, they are small businesses 
they are, uh, you know, they, they, ha they have a different sense of scale and risk um, and they can try stuff um, with, you know, quite, quite simply, you know, a GP could turn up on Monday and say, right, I'm going to do this now. You know, this is what I'm going to do. I've, I've thought about it over the weekend. I've read a blog. Um, you know, Tara says that I can do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to give this a go. And that can happen. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it can happen. And that does lead you to a different approach, um, you know, to working to, you know, to doing this type of stuff. Um, I do think that that's probably the time when you want to bring in some rigor and you want to, you know, uh, you know, having tried something and you want to get it bigger, you've got to bring in that rigor and do something a little bit more um, uh, constructive um, and, and helpful. Um, but I do think, you know, I, I recognize that actually a lot of the, uh, I guess, you know, Prince 2 is plastic for this. It's for big projects with big budgets and long delivery times. And, you know, the, the amount of, um, I suppose, documentation, the amount of work that you need to do in service of that project from a project management point of view is appropriate to the size of the project. Um, you know, and Prince 2, yeah, it, it's scalable. You, you, can, you can dial it back. But actually, there, there is a sense that you've got to put in additional work to service the project. Um, and, and some of that might be a barrier to actually getting the, you know, the, the work done. I think one myth I would like to kind of hash out is, and you mentioned it in our, like our first podcast together, in that the project manager finding things to do, or maybe, you know, like the network or practice finding things for the project manager to do. And I, my personal view is that project managers like a project because there is you know like there is a, or I like a project because there is like you know like a beginning you know like the messy middle and the project ends and then I move on to the next whether I was in you know like an employed role or a contract role the project has a natural end where it passes over in its business as usual or the project just stops and you know we close it down and I, we move on and I think there is a myth around if you hire somebody as a project manager, you have to find, you know, like have to find things for them to do. And when you're a contractor, it's really funny at the end of a contract, like the, my most, I get the most satisfaction, you know, when the project is finished and it's delivered. And I'm like, this is, I, it's great. And everybody's like, oh, but Tara, what are you going to do next? Oh no, what are you going to do? And I just think it's, I think it's, A, that's not, like, it's nice, but the role of the project manager and the project it should come to an end and project managers love projects you know like it's they don't want to stay doing the same thing forever they naturally want to move on to the next project whether that is with that organization or with a different organization i always say we won't outstay our welcome when the project ends you know like we are done and i think that look I think I'd like, I just wanted to kind of raise that, that, you know, don't feel bad when the project has ended. Feel happy. You can move on. You can learn those lessons. And if there is a naturally next project, or actually I would say have a break, you know, like if you can, don't jump into the next project, have a break, have a breather, and then think about it. So you're telling me you only do one project at a time? No. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, you know, I think that's that is something that is is worth considering. That as a you know contract project manager, you've probably got several projects with you know several clients mm. that are are happening at any one time. Um, and you know, I I know that 
Um, I've, I've been there, I, I, I've done that. Um, you know, and, and sometimes I would have multiple projects with their clients. So, but then there might be different funding streams for those, but you know, that, that's something that I have experienced myself. Um, so you might be coming to the end of one project with that client and there's another project that's ongoing and you know, you just redirect your effort over there, or there might be another client that, you know, you're just starting up a project on. Pro contract project managers that are coming in to provide a service into a business will have other things to do. Um, you know, as long as they they are able to service the needs of your project and provide the you know the resource and hours and, and support that you need, then that shouldn't matter. Um, and I think we we you know we we shouldn't be thinking about um, you know project managers, particularly in the, in the scale of, of a practice or in, in a network, um, where we're thinking maybe thirty to fifty thousand patient populations in a, in a um, primary care network. We shouldn't be thinking as a project manager as a full time role. And you know, all due credit to project managers out there that have got full-time roles in, in networks. This is, you know, it's not aimed at you. Um, this is more about those networks that haven't actually gone out and got project managers yet, or haven't thought about how to, you know, to provide that that level of rigor into the work that they're doing. Um, I, th I think there is a, a real opportunity to bring in um, a, you know, contract project manager to to service your project. And to provide the appropriate level of support that you need right now on your project um, and some of that you know that that ebbs and flows throughout the life cycle of the project as well so it might not mean um, that actually you know your your, your week-to-week -week commitments and, and and hours that you put in on that project um, are actually going to be fixed um, and certainly the you know projects that i've worked on in the past I, I might put in an hour a week just because i'm doing some admin around that that project for maybe six weeks while some stuff is happening. And then we go into the next phase of the project and I'm, I'm, my time is then more, you know, maybe doing a, a full day uh, in a week and support of that. And that, you know, as a project management, that's how I was used to working. Um, and I, I would bill accordingly, you know, I'm, I'm, and I think that's probably some flexibility that practices aren't used to. They're used to employing somebody, uh, you know, on a particular day, a particular afternoon to do so many hours um, and don't really appreciate the, the flexibility that a, a contract project manager can bring to their organisation. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree. Um, and I think that when people are thinking or practices and networks are thinking about hiring, you know, the myth we are debunking is you can hire a flexible project manager. Um, and that project manager will help you scope the project and will be as available as they can be in service of the project. It's not a fixed day because something may happen on a Friday and, you know, that project manager's going to say, well, I don't work on a Monday. And I think it's having an appreciation if you hire somebody um, that is flexible, that they will be serving multiple clients, but they will give their all to each project. Um, and I, I think that's that's really important to understand is that um, you know you, you get a good project manager they are going to give you everything that they need to give you um, in order for your project to move forward because you know they want to be a success and they, they want your project to be a success um, you know you're not going to have uh, a situation with a professional project manager um, where they are not providing the service that they've been contracted to do. I mean, it, it's just a, a given that somebody who is running their business on the service that they're providing is going to provide that service to you. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about, so the myths we've debunked, you do not need, a, you do not need to be a qualified project manager. Um, project, if you have a small project, um, you don't necessarily, don't need a project manager, but um, having some project management principles that you follow would be really helpful. 
Um, don't be sad when the project ends. Be happy, especially if you've got a contractor. Let that project manager go or say, you've been amazing. Do you want to do this project? Um, and I think you don't have to appoint a full-time project manager or a part-time project manager and the flexibility um, will work in your favour even if it's a practice manager, your practice manager one minute will be doing, you know, they might be running an audit, they may be doing a bit of HR, then they'll look at the project. And it is sometimes it's quite fluid if you've got multiple roles or if it is a, a contractor, they may only do a little bit and that's okay. I think there does have to be trust in that because if you know you hand in your timesheet and it may say, some. I had a, a contract where I had to put a timesheet in for every 30 minutes. What was I doing every 30 minutes? Um, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was filling out my timesheet. Yeah. yeah, that was my yeah. 30 minutes gone. Uh, <laughs> um, there has to be a bit of trust. Yeah. Um, and that one email may have taken quite a while to construct, or one conversation may be monumental in moving your project forwards. Um, so it's not, it's not a it's not so much always a task role. There's a lot of thinking that you have to think about if, you know, if the project is running into a bit of difficulty, you have to really reflect on what's gone, what's happening here. What am I going to do? You might talk to somebody outside of that project. You might talk to your coach or your mentor. Or I might talk to you, Matthew, and say, what's going on? You know, that's, that's hard to quantify, you know, like that's hard to quantify and your client might not want to see that on the timesheet, but you are thinking about how they're going to move this project. Not every time you sit into your desk, you'll be doing a, you know, like a task that everybody can see. So I think that just like any role, but I think if you're not used to having a project manager, regardless of how that person comes to you, um, you have to trust if you interview, if you scope out the project, you have to trust there is a, a, a big element of trust. And if you're not sure, then obviously you have to have conversations with that person. I think that's something that in um, you know, private business, we've, you know, we've solved those problems. Um, I mean, you know, in the, the public sector at large, we've solved those problems. I think in healthcare, it's something that we are new to. Um, and it, it's understanding, um, you know, different models of working and different, different ways of working that, that's really quite key. Um, and that's, that's only going to come through experience. It's not something you can easily, mm. you know, we, we can talk about it on this. It's not going to make every network, you know, uh, Listen to, that listens to this podcast go out and suddenly go and engage a, a flexible project manager um, but hopefully it will give them some thought to you know about how they could actually resource their project how that you know how they could provide some some rigor for their project um you know to, to help it move forward it does bring um you know one of the other myths that i, I thought was going to be worth um debunking and it sort of is related to to that that trust and also the, the amount of time and service you put into the, the project how, how those all sort of going hand in hand and i think one of the myths is documentation is optional um, or it can be done later and I, I think documentation is so important um one of the first uh project management actually it was the, the first the first contract i had as a project manager um when i'd gone self-employed um I, I worked for a, a client who was just so uh, so insightful uh, in his approach to business. I mean, he, he'd actually, you know, he'd been burned. He'd had a partner that um, had basically dipped into the accounts and taken all the money and, you know, uh, they, they, they couldn't pay their staff, you know, the business folded. They, I, I think they hadn't, they, hadn't, uh, they hadn't been paying their insurance. Um, you know, they, it, was, it was a real messy thing for this guy. So he, he, he was burned by that, but he learned. And he, he told me, Matthew, 
always get it in writing. You know, and that, that is, you know, refers to your, uh, your, your contract of employment. It refers to, uh, you know, also to do, you know, the, 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 the aims with which the project is going to be uh, based upon. It's, it's the, you know, the, the meetings you've had, the work you've done. It's about getting it down on paper. Because if you've got it down on paper, you've got it documented, it is actually supporting evidence. And you don't have to rely just on trust. And I think, you know, trust, trust is a lovely thing. It, it really is. And, I, you know, I absolutely understand that trust is necessary um, in order for projects to be successful. But if we rely too much on trust, um, you know, we, we are actually doing trust a, a disservice. So do invest in getting things documented. Um, you know, if you, if you have, if, if you take time to, you know, to have a meeting, um, as a, as a project manager, you, you've got your team together, uh, you facilitated that discussion, they've come up with some clear criteria of how they're going to make decisions about this project moving forward, capture them, you know, and make sure they are, they are documented. And it's not just relying on everyone's memory and recollection of that mm. meeting, you've actually done something with it. Um, you know, if, if decisions are made then later on and you know, if there's some argument, you can, you know, you can roll this out and say, look, here, here is what we decided. It might mean that that document needs to change because actually they've, they've come up with an edge case which doesn't quite fit into um, that, that criteria. But it's, it's about having something that you can demonstrate. And I think if you are producing documentation in support of the project, and I'm not talking about for the sake of the project just or for the sake of producing documentation but you're producing documentation in service of the project that goes some way to demonstrating actually what, what you're doing this this is part of that demonstration of rigor um, and i think that is really helpful in helping um you know a practice or a, you know a small organization that's not used to this way of working to actually see something um, of value coming in they, they can touch and feel this stuff um but it's it's all done in service of the project it's not just the case of having something for the sake of it um, and you know, I guess on the, the, the flip side of that, um, I've certainly been in projects where the, the project manager uh, has seemingly, you know, they, their role has been to update the project plan. You know, that, that's how they have spent their time. That's how they've invested um, and, and making sure that the project plan reflects reality. Um, and I, I've never, <laughs> never been so sure as to how that really serves a, a, a project. Um, because if you're just recording historical stuff, you're not, you're not thinking about what you know what's moving forward um and i and i think it's you know there, there's something about documentation being appropriate for what you are uh, trying to achieve here it's about making sure that the right stuff is being done at the right time that's going to help the project move forward and last one i've got another myth that we'd like to debunk uh failure is bad that that was my my other myth um and i think there is there is something about projects need to be a success um, and a, a you know a project is only a success if you succeed in what your aim is. But actually, you know, on the way you might fail, um, and that might be for a good reason. And actually, that might be okay. Um, and there there is something about learning from failure which is really really important. Now, I guess the you know the approach I take uh, these days with with project management is is not. Um, you know about pure project management it's it's more about that that quality improvement approach that that pdsa you know style approach um where we are thinking about doing small incremental improvements on the way so we might have an aim um which might be you know far-reaching aim, a global aim for the for the project and on the way we're going to try things in order to get towards that aim and some of those might fail and that's okay um and i, I think it's also appropriate when you're thinking in terms of project management that actually it's okay for a project to fail it's just better if it fails fast and early um and i think because we, we you know we learn more from this stuff there's nothing 
worse in you know my opinion from a project point of view in just driving a project forward which is failing um, or he's going to fail and not recognizing that and not either a being able to do something about it or closing the project down appropriately um, and I think you know we, we we can look at some of the uh, you know the, the big examples um, out in the public sector and think about you know Tony Blair um, his his years uh, which I think we print prints it's, it's you know got some roots around this time and it's it's all the all those big IT projects have failed um, because the process was just followed um, and there wasn't any kind of attention given to what was going on um, you know and it, it, it was almost like the projects were too big to fail have small projects and fail early and fail quick yeah. um, because it's going to be really really useful for your learning and I think if you take a different style you know the quality improvement style as opposed to a process uh, project process style i think it's going to pay um you well within that that small uh, practice or that that small network environment where you're trying to do new things you're learning as you go um i think failure is something that we should embrace not fail on purpose but but embrace it in so much that it has learning and it tells us not what to do um but also what to avoid in the future yeah i think we, i've been in situations where you know you just think this is not working it's not working and we should stop. And I think people think we've invested all this time. Let's just keep, we can't stop now. We've, we've just come too far. <laughs> Let's just keep trying to resuscitate it. Um, and sometimes you just have to call a spade a spade. It's not working and that's okay. You have, as long as you learn the lessons from it, um, let's not waste any more time because sometimes the, you know the context change without you I think coronavirus is really important I think lots of projects have stopped because actually you know when you think what's really important right now is actually not this project and you can stop a project and come back to it or it may just think actually we just don't need this anymore because you think things beyond our control have have, have factored into that or things within our control have made actually we just it's just not serving the overall objective matthew thank you so much if people want to get in touch with you um where can they find you uh well a couple of different places they could go and check out uh, southwest koala um which is my little business um which i do all my private work from um it's uh, it's not a particularly exciting uh website but at least i can get in touch with <laughs> <me> that way <laughs> see what i'm up to um it was it was it was something that i started several years ago to help incubate businesses in the southwest um and i've, I've done a few of them but um it's not something I, I spend a lot of time shouting about uh it's it's, it's something i think for me will always be there but not uh it's, it's not important um in a lot of a lot of senses it's not my it's not my primary driver if you like um but certainly i, I can be reached there or um, on twitter um i i was one of the early twitter adopters um and you so so i i i have a strange username strange twitter handle which is accuser um i've been questioned about that a lot uh, <laughs> in the past but it's a very i'm, very liter I'm literally just on twitter now uh, <laughs> It's a very, very simple story. Um, I needed to put in an account username. Um, and accuser is a contraction of account username. Uh, lots of people read far too much into it. But um, seriously, it's just, it's just a contraction of account username. And uh, it, you know, it's, it's served me all these years. You know what? I never noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely loved it. And yeah, I'll, see, I'll speak to you soon. Brilliant. Thanks. Take care.
So the Business of Healthcare podcast is being brought to you by THC Primary Care. We are a project management company specialising in the development of primary care networks, GP federations and training hubs. Find us on www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. And in the meantime, please tune in to the next episode of the Business of Healthcare podcast. Thank you.